Let's turn back to hit number 395. Hit number 395. And we'll sing out on In My Heart, There Rings a Melody. I have a song that Jesus gave me. It was sent from heaven above. There never was a sweeter melody. Tis a melody of love. In my heart there rings a melody. There rings a melody with heaven's harmony. In my heart there rings a melody. There rings a melody of love. I love the Christ who died on Calvary. For he washed my sins away. He put within my heart a melody. And I know it's there to stay. In my heart there rings a melody. There rings a melody with heaven's harmony. In my heart there rings a melody. There rings a melody be my endless theme in glory with the angels I will sing t'will be a song with glorious harmony when the courts of heaven ring in my heart there rings a melody there rings a melody with heaven's harmony in my Take a moment to greet those around you tonight. Well, good evening. Good to welcome to our Wednesday evening service. I was uh, noticing there on the, um, the table back here, and usually the same kind of stuff back here on this one, that uh, the devotional and also when you see these papers, that's all free. Won't cost you anything. I don't, I don't know that's why, if that's why we usually have some left because you think you've got to pay for them. <clears throat> but... Um, 
We have those provide those there for you free. And a lot of good stuff, a lot of good, uh, mostly the revival, revival fires, just mostly uh, messages. And, um, and so they're, they're very good, especially when they have mine in there. It's very good. <laughs> but this, uh, this is a good devotional. If you don't already <coughs> uh, pick one of these up, you need to do it. Good devotional. Uh, tomorrow morning, Seniors Breakfast at 8.15 at Eagle Lake Diner. And I want to remind you about Vacation Bible School coming up soon, June the 26th. And that's right on us. Before you know it, it'll be here. And Youth Camp, July 17th through the 21st. <clears throat> Brother Tony's mentioned the price, and also if you'd like to donate toward that. We, uh, because of our bus ministry, we have, a, we have a lot of young people that cannot pay their own way. And so we try to we try to always try to help them. I don't I don't re recall or I've never known about any person that wanted to go that did not get to because of finances because you always uh, pitch in and and uh, pay for those that cannot. The uh, the price this year two oh five two hundred five dollars which is really cheap compared to a lot of the youth camps. Um, I think I think the wild for instance up. Around four hundred dollars or more, <clears throat> and um, we have we have our young people have gone there uh, two or three times over the years. But but uh, where we're going now is about half the price. So and it's uh, it's good camp. Our, our young people today are they're they're not as hardy as we were when we were teenagers, because youth camp back then you know was very rustic. You didn't talk, you didn't think about air conditioning or. And even in some of those some of those camps, you didn't even have electricity, and uh, so. Uh, but here at the in Pensacola, uh, everything's air conditioned inside. You know all the and all the games they've got all kinds of stuff there. And uh, once we started going there, our young people don't want to go anywhere else <laughs> because. And uh, there, I've never seen a camp where they had uh, you go through the chow line, you know, and. And they got different. <clears throat> They'll have one one area that's got Oriental food, one's got um, some other kind, and different. And even they got a pizza. Uh, you know, you get pizza if you want that, and all. And you just pick out, kind of, you just pick out, you know, what you want. And uh, and, and it's really amazing. Back when uh, when Janice and I were younger, and we used to go to camp. The uh, as counselors, uh, you didn't get all those choices like that. They slap a a, uh, a freeze hardened hamburger patty or something on your tray, and and uh, that was about the extent of it. So, uh, but anyway, if you'd like to uh, help uh, a young person, we'd be glad just on just on your envelope when you or on your check, just put down youth camp. So that we'll know that that's going toward a support of a of a young person, and we don't let them go, you know, without making them come down and and work. We don't want them to think that this is just free; that they've got to work for it. So, um, so we do that, brother. In fact, brother Tony, he has a. He, I think he works harder trying to get them to work than any other time of the year. All right, Esther, would you come? Let's receive the offering. Appreciate um, 
for the bouts filling in while we were away. And um, from what I've heard, he did a good job, always does. <clears throat> and we appreciate, appreciate it so much. For the flowers, would you lead us in prayer? Amen. Take out your prayer list and look it over. Looks like there's been a lot of uh, additions in the last week or so. The hospital is uh, Lane Milam. That's the grandson of Wayne and Charlotte. And um, Matt's brother-in-law, Ken, I wouldn't even begin to try to pronounce that. But you can see it for yourself, can't you? And uh, Caden Stone, and then Dot, Dot Snyder, Jim Houlihan's brother, and all in the hospital. And um, the family of Joy Beth Wright, death in the family. And also traveling, the Bogus family and Son and Gloria, they've been, they've been gone now for several weeks. <clears throat> and Matt and Rachel Pouts. <clears throat> I guess Matt felt like he needed some time off after he had to preach the last two Wednesday nights. <laughs> all right, if you have an addition... Raise your hand, Jim. Oh, it's good. So, um, Abigail, uh, she's all right. Um, I guess that should go under the special needs, shouldn't it? Um, Abigail and Robbie, and I'll just I'll just put in parentheses foster foster parents. And thank the Lord; He knows what it's all about. We don't have to spell out everything. All right, somebody else. Okay, good to have Bill back with us tonight, and uh, continue to pray for him that Lord will Lord will get him back 100% again. <clears throat> um, brother, of course, Brother King, Brother Jim King, and uh, also uh, Lorna Rankin. Brother Brother Rankin's been on our prayer list for some time now. She's having some issues, so uh, remember her. All right, stand again, take a songbook. Mark it, come lead us another song. Hymn number nine. Let's sing out in hymn number nine.
God can do anything, anything, anything. God can do anything but fail. He can save, He can keep, He can cleanse, and He will. God can do anything but fail. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. God can do anything, anything, anything. God can do anything but fail. Thank you, baby. See Mickey, are you up there? Is that your head I see there? Can you do that that I, I was talking to Scott about? Did, did, okay. I'll tell you when to put it up there. All right, open your Bible to Matthew 25, Matthew chapter 25. I want us to uh, look at something tonight. I think once you you see what this parable is actually all about, I think you will understand. A lot of, a lot of people are uh, have a problem with the, hearing the parable of the talents, and um, at the end, at the end of the um, parable, uh, it, it indicates there that, that slothful servant was cast into hell. And so a lot of people say, well, how, can a, how can a servant, how can a saved person uh, be cast into hell? But uh, I think you'll see when we, when we get into this, this is probably going to take two or three lessons. So you have to be back next Wednesday night and maybe the next. We'll, we'll see how, how, how fast you listen. And, um, but but you'll, you'll need to, in order to get the full import of this, you'll need to be back. <clears throat> next Wednesday night. But, uh, but look here at uh, Matthew, Matthew 25, and let's begin reading in verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that received five talents came and brought of the five talents and Lord Thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. And I want you to notice now that the commendation is the same for both, even though one had gained, he had doubled five, and this one only gave double two. 
His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I, have, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, uh, reaping where thou hast not sown, gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talents in the earth. Lo, thou, uh, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said to him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. water up here in case I need it. Now, um, when you look, now remember this is this is a parable, and uh, there are actually two parables that are here. There's one of the ten virgins, and then and then and this parable follows it. And um, this this has been uh, called by some of the great theologues of of our time, um, one of the greatest parables in all the scripture. This is the parable of, of the talents. It's a parable about the tragedy of wasted opportunity. Now that's what it's about, the tragedy of wasted opportunity. You know, scripture calls all of us to make the most of spiritual opportunity from beginning of scripture to the end, we're called upon to, to maximize our privileges. In Ecclesiastes, we're reminded to cast our bread upon the waters where we shall find it after many days. In other words, when to cast it out, it'll be brought back. We're reminded in the, mor in, in the morning to sow our seed, and in the evening withhold not our hands, for thou knowest not whether thou shalt prosper either in this or that. In other words, we better take advantage of every opportunity because we 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 don't uh, we know that any one miss may be wasted. Any opportunity that's missed may be wasted. And our Lord called us to make the most of of the moment, to make the most of spiritual privilege and spiritual opportunity. In John chapter twelve, uh, verses thirty-five and thirty-six, He said, "In a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth." While you have light, believe in the light that ye may be the children of light. Again, calling us to take advantage of spiritual uh, opportunity. And in a, more, in a more secular vein, you're probably all familiar with the John Greenleaf, Greenleaf Whittier uh, sentence of, of all the sad words of tongue or pen, the sightest are these, it might have been. Lost opportunity. That's the theme of the parable here in, in our text. 
Now we're going to we're going to treat this uh, parable here, as I mentioned a while ago, in two or three sessions, maybe, uh, maybe two, if we uh, depends on how far we we get with with this one tonight. Uh, we need to be careful to study the the message of this profound passage, this message, this uh, parable. The, the simple overarching message is the tragedy, as I said, of wasted opportunity. Our Lord has been answering a question from the disciples, and the question is, when is your coming? When is your coming? He's already said five times in chapter 24, verse 36, 42, 44, and 50, and then in chapter 25, verse 13, five times he has said, no man knows the day nor the hour. In other words, my coming as to its exact day and hour is not revealed. He gave signs of the period before his coming. He described the birth pangs that would result in the kingdom, chapter 24. He, he discussed the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. He talked about the danger and deception and evil of the great tribulation period. He said that it would all happen so fast that whoever was alive when it started would still be around to see it's finished. It's going to be, you know, a short period of time. It would happen that fast uh, unless they were killed in the tribulation, in tribulation period, of course. He, he's given them all kinds of details as to the events around his second coming just, just prior to it. But as the exact moment, the exact day, he's not told them. He will not tell them to what generation it will come because he wants all men to live in anticipation of his coming so that, so that there's a constant watchfulness, a constant uh, readiness on the part of everyone. If, if something like the second coming of Christ will happen, but we don't know when, uh, then we're forced to be ready at all times, right? Where this is, this is something that, that uh, uh, we ought to be looking for. So, so the unknown character of his coming, the sudden, unexpected, surprising reality of it is that, that which caused all men to seek to be ready for, for it could happen in in their, their generation. So the Lord has called for all men to be ready, and the call comes and is holding back the exact day and the exact hour so that we must be ready at all times. <clears throat> now the thing our Lord wants to force the disciples and us to understand is this. We, we need to be ready because it, it said in an hour that we think not, he comes. If, when, when no man knows, he comes, and, and we all need to be ready. And so in Chapter 25, having said five times that the coming is an unknown event in terms of its time, he calls for constant readiness, and he does it by using two parables. The parable of the virgins in, per, in verses 1 through 12, and the parable of the talents in verses 14 through 30. Now, both, both of these parables have basically the same intention, the same point. They make the same message clear. That is, be ready. Be ready. And there are two very important parables. And verse 13 links them together. Uh, the parable of the virgins was a parable about readiness. And at the end of that parable, he says, watch therefore. And the therefore ties it in with the parable 
of the virgins. He said, watch therefore, for you neither, you know, neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man comes. And then verse 14 begins, for it's like a man traveling. And so that just takes us right into the next parable, which, which also is summed up in verse 13. So verse 13 is sort of the, the bridge between the two. The, there, the therefore leads us into it, and the, and the, there, the, the for connects verse 14 back with it. Am, am I making it clear? I'm trying to go fast here to, to um, so that we get all of this in here in tonight. So because the very, very moment the Lord's coming is unknown, we need to have constant readiness. Now, the parable of the virgins, the parable of the talents, differ, even, even though they're, they're alike in a lot of things, they differ in some points. They're both, they're both par parables about readiness. That's the, the, uh, the sense that they're, they're the same. They're both about readiness. There were ten virgins. Five were ready when the bridegroom came because they had oil in their lamps. Five were not because they didn't. Everyone was waiting, but only five of the ten were ready to go into the wedding feast. And the whole point of that parable was to talk about readiness, preparedness. And I'm, I'm, I'm uh, going through all of this to try to give you the context in which these parables are given. And, and, you'll, and after we get into the heart of the lesson here tonight, you'll, you'll understand uh, why it says that in, in verse... Uh, in, at the end of the second parable, that that one that buried his talent, that that he he was cast into outer darkness. In other words, he was not a Christian. He was not saved. Now, uh, the, so so again, the the whole point of the parable of the virgins was about readiness, preparedness, and it emphasized waiting. This was the emphasis, waiting, waiting for the coming king, looking for the coming of the Lord, anticipating his return. So the emphasis was on waiting. In the margin of the Bible, if you want to write out by uh, the parable of the ten virgins, write down there, waiting, waiting. That'll help you to remember what the emphasis was, uh, about that prayer was. It was on that internal heart attitude that longs for the coming of the Lord. Now the parable of the talents is not an emphasis on waiting, it's an emphasis on working. I write that out in the margin there, right? Working by by the parable of the talents. While while we're waiting and while we're looking and while we're watching, we're to be serving. We're to we're to be working. And that's what the parable of the talents emphasizes. And so together, these two parables together, they go together, they provide for us a balance of living in anticipation of the second coming. We, uh, we, we don't live in anticipation of the second coming only like, like virgins or bridesmaids waiting for the ceremony to begin with nothing to do, you know, all dressed up, nowhere to go, just, just waiting to start. Uh, that would be an imbalanced anticipation. But while we're looking and while we're anticipating, while we're waiting, we're also working. We're also working. We're also serving. We're also making most of our opportunity and 
and uh, stewardship and magnifying the very role that God's given us to serve him. And when, when one of those things is overemphasized or one of them is lost, either the, the waiting or, or the working, then the Christian experience is out of balance. People, are, people who are uh, no longer looking for the second coming but spend all their time working in the world, they've lost a very important perspective that's necessary for balance. And on the other hand, people who are always looking and looking and waiting and waiting, not bother to be working, have also lost a very important balance. Do you remember in the uh, Thessalonian church, Paul had to write in the, in the second epistle to them and tell them, look, some of you people are so preoccupied with the second coming that you're doing nothing. You're not earning a living, but you're running around like busybodies. He said, you better get back to work. See, there's a balance. There's a balance. On the one hand, some people in the time of Peter, as he writes, apparently just decided the second coming was going to happen. And so uh, they decided we'll just throw everything into the world. And, uh, and, and that, that is, you know, the world now. They, they you know, just uh, forget about the second coming. He's not coming. And so uh, he says, wait a minute. There may be scoffers saying where the promise of his coming, but they're foolish because he will come, and he'll come like a thief in the night, so you better be ready. So there's a balance, you see. What I'm trying to get to emphasize here, there's a balance in the Christian life. Not all watching and not all waiting and no working, and not all working and no waiting. So because we don't know the moment of the hour, we're watching all the time, but we're working all the time as well. That's the balance. Now, the balance of the Christian life can be seen by the virgins who had oil. They had the internal necessary grace. The oil represented a transformed nature, a redeemed soul, a changed life. Um, the oil is representative of, uh, of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so they had, they had the necessary grace and the soul and, and the talent parable illustrates the fact that true believers manifest that necessary grace in the life of service. So on the one hand, you have saving grace, and on the other hand, you have the product of that saving grace in the serving life. That's the balance in Christianity. We're not just sitting around waiting, and neither we're just working. Or we're working and we're waiting. We're looking for the coming of the Lord. We're looking and we're serving. True saving faith is the faith that's worked. That's what, that's what James says in chapter 2, isn't it? True saving faith is faith that works. James said faith without works is what? It's dead. Dead. So the parable makes the point of readiness. Not only not readiness only in the sense of looking, but, but readiness in the sense of serving. The, the, outer, the outer manifestation comes in this parable where the inner grace uh, is seen in, in the other one, in the first one. <clears throat> now, now, just as a footnote, some of you, some of you I know some people tried to, tried to compare this parable with the one in Luke in chapter 19, verse 11 through 27, which is the parable of the pounds. 
they're not the same. That, that parable was given several days earlier by our Lord than what this one is given. It's as different as it is similar, so, but don't so too. It is a different parable altogether. Now, as we look at this parable, the message that we, that we want to understand is wasted opportunity. We're in a period of time waiting for the Lord to come, but it's not a time for only waiting. It's a time for seizing opportunity, make, making most of privilege, and that's the message. Now, what do we need to know then about spiritual opportunity? <clears throat> well, there are four things we'll look at in this parable that we need to know. I'll go ahead and give those to you. We won't get them all tonight, but I'll go ahead and give them to you. <clears throat> and, uh, and then we'll, we'll get as far as we can here. But <clears throat> uh, I, I, I know that, that when, when the uh, clock strikes eight, that the people back in there in the king's kids get very restless. restless. So we'll try, to, we'll try to stop it around eight o'clock. Uh, so... The first, the first thing here, point number one, we know, we know the, we need to know the responsibility we receive. The responsibility we receive. Uh, second, the reaction we have. Number two, the reaction we have. Third, the reckoning we face. The reckoning we face. Now I know some folks at home are taking notes because they tell me they do. And then number four, the reward we gain. The reward we gain. Those are things that we need to know as we anticipate using our opportunities, and they're all here in this parable, in this marvelous parable. So let's start with the responsibility we receive. Look at verse 14, and you'll notice in your Bible that the for the kingdom of heaven is, is in italics. You see that? It's in italics. If it's not in italics, then you don't have a King James Version. So you better put that one aside and get you a King James Version. <clears throat> it's in italics. And you see, the, the King James translators were, were honest men. They were godly men. <clears throat> and, and when there was something that was inserted that was not in the original, they put it in italics. So you'd know. You'd know this was inserted. <clears throat> they, didn't, they didn't want to, uh, you to think that they have added to the Word of God. So, uh, now, the reason that it's inserted there is because it's implied. It, it's, not, it's not repeated here uh, because it was there in verse 1. And since the two parables are linked together, it's obvious he's still talking about the same thing. <clears throat> you see that? <clears throat> in fact, there, there really is no main verb just to, to uh, start the sentence, it's just sort of abbreviated. And so you could put in, for it is like, and then you say, well, what is it? What is the it? What is the it? For it is like, what is the it? And you'd have to say, it's the kingdom of heaven. So why not just put the kingdom of heaven, is, why just not put, is it like? Am I making any sense? He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. It's a transition right out of the former parable where he's talking about the kingdom as indicated in, in verse 1 of the, of the chapter. So the kingdom is likened to two of these parables, this being the second one 
so he doesn't have to repeat that. Are you with me? Now, I want to I wanna stop at this point and make a comment that I think is very essential for you to understand. These are parables about the kingdom, the kingdom. The kingdom is the sphere where God rules by grace and salvation through Christ. The kingdom is the sphere of God's dominion in Christ, his rule, his area. Go ahead, uh, Mick, and put that. Uh, you, can see, you can tell I'm not an artist. Uh, you see, you have in the Bible, you have the kingdom of God. That is the overall rule. God is the, he's over everything. That's the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of heaven, uh, it consists of both saved and lost. The kingdom of heaven, that's a sphere of profession. Profession, not possession. There are people in the kingdom of heaven only because they profess to be saved. You say, what are you, what are you talking about? It doesn't make sense. Well, go back to chapter 13 of Matthew and the parables that are given there where it says the kingdom of heaven is like wheat and tares growing together. That's saved and lost. Uh, uh, they're like a, a huge, uh, you know, a mustard seed that comes, makes a big bush and then a tree, a green tree, and everything's all together and all that. That's, those are parables of, of the kingdom of heaven uh, showing that, that people, and that, that's like we say in the church. You know, in our church, and we're, I think we're as fundamental as any church could be. Uh, but we have people, I'm satisfied, we have people that are members of our church that are not saved. I know when I pastored in Tennessee, uh, there, was, there were several times. We, uh, the the um, Southern Baptist Convention, very strong there in East Tennessee. And uh, we, were, we were one of the first, in fact, I, I think we might have been the first independent Baptist church in East Tennessee, in that area where we where we were. Now you have you had some Baptist churches that were called uh, Bapticostal churches because they did a lot of things that real Baptists don't do, and believed a lot of things that real Baptists don't believe. And uh, but but uh, but several times during the times I was there, I pastored there almost 14 years, and uh, several times people would come that had that had transferred from another Baptist church. And, and they came after coming a while, they realized they were not saved, they were not born again. And, and uh, so they come and say, Preacher, I, I know I'm a member here, but I'm not saved. I realize I'm not saved. I haven't been born again. <clears throat> so so they, even though they were lost, they were, in, they, were in, they were members of our church, and it's the same, the kingdom of heaven. Listen carefully. The kingdom of heaven is a sphere of profession. The kingdom of God, and see, that's why that in the kingdom of God, you have some that in the kingdom of heaven that are saved, see? Brother, Brother Mickey is a better artist than I am. He cleaned that up a lot from what I, what I had it there. But uh, do you understand this now? It wasn't long ago that, that I taught on the entire chapter uh, about the parables of Matthew 13. Seven parables were given there about the kingdom of heaven. And uh, 
so you probably are, are you still remember all that and you're familiar with that now don't don't leave me now I'm going to prove I'm going to prove what I'm saying here um, so the, these are these are parables about the kingdom the kingdom of, of heaven now uh, the and and here here in in this parable we're we're talking about those that are in the real kingdom that is they've really been saved they've been born again see this this is this is a parable about servants of this master and i know that that the parable in in the parable that that master called lord sometimes the word lord just means master um that it, this referring in the real in the real in reality is referring to the Lord, <clears throat> and so these these three different people here, the two that the Lord commended and you know and all, uh, and the third one, the one that had buried his talent, the Lord called him a, a slothful servant, and and said he's to be cast into outer darkness. So obviously that man was not saved. You do believe in eternal security, don't you? You believe in you believe that once saved, always saved, don't you? So, um, so, so you're you're way ahead of me. I mean, before I've even got to that, I have to remind you that you're all, you're already there. But uh, but the, the the kingdom of heaven. When you see that, there there are times whenever it's it's referring. When we say the kingdom of heaven. Is likened to it. It is. There are times when it's talking about saved people, but there's also times when there is. It, it also includes lost people. Um, in the in the 18th chapter of Matthew, verse three, it says, "Except you be converted and become little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven." Now, obviously, that's talking about saved people, right? Except you be converted, becomes little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So there, he's talking about being converted, enter in, and nobody gets in unless they're really converting, uh, or uh, converted. So there he's referring to the kingdom of heaven in its, in its pure sense, in its, in, in the uh, uh, invis invisible sense, you might say, an internal, uh, genuine sense, in that it's the, the redeemed, the truly redeemed, uh, redeemed, the truly saved. But on, on the other hand, sometimes the kingdom of heaven is used to refer to the Visible, the outward, the outward king, the king is made up of people who identify themselves with Christ, but some are real and some are false. Uh, the kingdom, for example, is like wheat and tares in Matthew 13. Now, who, who, do, who do the tares represent? Tell me. The lost. Who does the wheat? Who does the wheat represent? The saved. <clears throat> They're both in the kingdom of heaven. He said there, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he mentions the wheat and the tares. It's also like a dragnet full of stuff that's dragged up from the bottom of the sea. Some is fish to be kept, and some is refuse to be thrown away. Now, now who, do, who, do, who do the fish that are kept, who do they represent? The saved. The, the refuse to be thrown away 
Who do they represent? The lost. That's in the kingdom of heaven. It's right there. I'm not trying to put something over on you. It's right there. The kingdom is also made up of soil. Some is good and some is bad. Uh, the good soil is who? That represents who? The saved. The bad soil represents who? Those that are lost. There, there are times then when the gospel record refers to the kingdom in its outward, external, organizational, visible sense, and sometime in its organism, internal, invisible sense. And you need, you need to know that as you pro, approach a parable so that you can properly interpret it. The, the problem that people have is that they don't put this in its context and, 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 and recognize here that this is a parable of the kingdom of heaven. And so they, they say, how can, a, how can a saved person be cast into outer darkness? Well, well, this person wasn't saved. He was not saved. He was in the kingdom of heaven, but he was not saved. Just like you can be a member of the church and not be saved. Now, in the case of the virgins, the kingdom was like ten virgins. Five of them were real, and five of them were what? Tell me. Where, are you asleep? Tell me. They were false. False. They, five of them had internal grace. Five of them did not. Therefore, the kingdom there is picturing the true and the false in the organized, external, visible kingdom. And so, do, so does this parable here now of the talents. Now, don't be shocked at that. Don't need, no need to be confused. We, we do the same thing, like I said, with the word church. Uh, sometimes when I refer to the church or you refer to it, we're talking about the truly redeemed. But, but you know, sometimes you'll hear, you'll hear state, you may hear me say something like this. Uh, something is wrong in the church today. And uh, we could be talking about the mixture of stuff that's in the church, true and false. The same is true in the Lord's references to the kingdom. In this case, as in the case of the virgins, he's talking about the true and the false. But it's the kingdom he's talking about. He's talking about two kinds of servants, the kind who, who use their opportunity and the kind who waste it. But both of them identify themselves as servants of the Lord. So we're in the framework for the kingdom here in its outward, external, broad, invisible sense. So this kingdom is like a man who travels into a far country, goes on a long trip. And you know, he didn't just get on a plane and fly, fly there and come back at the end of the week in those days. Uh, he could be gone a year or, or, or two years or uh, ju uh, just a long time. Could be months, weeks. But this is a very com common kind of thing. So he goes away. He calls his servants. These are his servants, the people who work for him. And delivers them his goods. That sets it up. Here we look at the kingdom, and the kingdom is filled with different kinds of servants. That's a common picture. Uh, I wish I could make it more understandable, because I think so many people misunderstand this. The, uh, the, the local church, the visible church, and the, the kingdom external is filled with diversity. 
You know, you, you hear a lot about they're, you know, they're claiming that uh, conservative people, Christian people, that that we don't want diversity. Our churches are full of, of diversity. We got we got people from all kinds of different parts of the world right here, right here in this small group tonight. Uh, you know, my my ancestors, from from what I can understand about about the the name Wiggins, that's an English name, and and uh, my ancestors were from England. Now you say, well, but you know, English people speak English, but they're still foreigners. They're still foreigners, right? That's another country. England is another country. Uh, some of you here tonight, may, your answer is maybe from Scotland. Scotland is another country. So, so even in this little group here tonight, we have diversity, don't we? Our churches are, are diverse. They're diverse. Although, although when you get saved, you become one in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Or Gentile. So, uh, but, but uh, the the church, the local church, like like the kingdom of heaven, is filled with diversity. It's the mustard seed of Matthew thirteen that grows into a bush that is massive and and uh, you know like a large tree, and birds actually build their nest and lodge in it. Uh, also, it's like a net full of fish to be kept and garbage to be discard discarded. It's wheat and tares. It's virgins with oil and virgins without. It's two houses, one with a foundation and one without a foundation. Two paths, two gates. In other words, the kingdom will always have the false and the true. I'm talking about the kingdom of heaven. That's what this is about. The kingdom of heaven is like unto. And, uh, and it will accumulate all those people who ultimately say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and done many wonderful works in thy name and cast out demons in thy name? And on and on. And now, now that's in this same, same book. The same book. This, this, these are people who were in the kingdom of heaven. People who were church members. In fact, some of them were even preachers. They said, did we not prophesy or preach in your name? And, uh, and the Lord said, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, either work iniquity. So, so we must understand that in the kingdom, there's always this uh, combination. Now, you, are you with me in this? You won't understand this parable if you don't get this. So, so here's the picture. Here's a man, he's got a lot of servants, a lot of people who attach themselves to him. Uh, their, their heart attitude is going to be manifest here. And there are a lot of people in the kingdom today, a lot of people under the rule of Christ, as it were, in his church today. Under the authority of Christ-appointed leaders and, and pastors. And we can see the comparison of the kind whose hearts are right and the kind whose hearts are not right as we put them up against this very parable here. Now notice what happens. He calls his own servants. These are his servants. And this helps us to understand that these are the people that are within the kingdom. Amen? You're, you're with me there? He knows them. 
He knows them. He, he understands them. They know him. There, there's a certain amount of acquaintance here, very much like a, like a Judas even, who was a servant of Christ, followed him, was a disciple, went through all the activities and so forth. The local church will always have those kinds of people. And, and, and so, and the local church, that's, that's in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. And you, you understand and you agree that, that in local churches and, and in churches, local churches that don't preach the gospel, you probably got a whole congregation of people that are members of that church and profess, they're in that sphere of profession. Notice I didn't say possession, I said profession. And, and, and these people, they're, they're not saved. But, they, uh, but the, they claim to be, and, you know, the preacher, the preacher, the pastor, you know, he's, he uh, is considered the authority over them and all those things. Uh, so, so here uh, he calls these servants. These are his servants, his servants. And he, he delivers them as goods. He's going to be gone long enough, and, and he has to keep up with the economy, so he has to make wise investments. He has to produce his crops. He has to make sure that everything's cared for. Now, the word, the word servant here, uh, in, in our modern times now, because see, back then, you didn't have uh, manufacturing plants. You didn't have steel companies and things like that, you know. You didn't, uh, you didn't have... Places like Disney World and all that. Uh, so most most of the population at that time were servants. They they were servants to somebody. And uh, so so we could look at it like employees. These people are like employees, an employer and his employees. Who were people who were, you know, had all kinds of gifts. They were artists and craftsmen and, and farmers and people that were good with business and numbers and good traders in that time, good mathematicians, had a good mind for business. Those kind of people, they could do just about anything that would fit somewhere in the structure of service in, in a large estate like this man had. And when, a, and when a man went away, he would hand these people who were trustworthy, capable servants, a certain amount of his goods so that they could bring him back a return on his property while he was gone. It was not an uncommon thing. They were stewards to handle the funds and assets and resources for the profit of a master, uh, which, which profit they will return to him on his arrival back. And that's what happened. So he delivers them his goods. We're not going to get as far as I was hoping to tonight. He delivers them his goods he apportions them out. Notice verse 15. And, and this will tell us the responsibility we have. Under one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to every man according to his several ability. And he took his journey. You ought to underline that. Every man according to his several ability. Now he knows the talent of his servants. He knows the skill of his servants, so he apportions out to them that he, which he believes that they're capable of handling properly. 
to the first he gave five talents. He knew this man. He knew that he could handle that. He knew that he, he had the ability. He could handle five. To the second, he gave two. And to the third one, one. Now, now in this parable here, now we, we use it in the uh, English sense, you know, speak of somebody's abilities and talents. But, but here, this is actually, the word talent actually refers to weight. Refers to to weight, uh, like a like a scale. In Revelation chapter sixteen, it talks about a hailstone weighing a talent, and and we're told that a talent equals one hundred pounds. So, uh, but but it goes on, and 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 in the parable here we, that we read there, it uses the word money. So the word the word talent here is used for money now. Back in those days, money was weighed out, or currency. They didn't have dollars and pennies and nickels and dimes and all that. Uh, it might be weighed out in gold. It might be in silver. It might be in some other kind of metal, you know, copper or whatever. But, uh, but, the, but the word that's used here for money in verse 18 is a word that frequently referred to silver coinage. So the man's going away. Let me hurry up here. The man's going away, and I follow what he does. He gives them what amounts in weight to a certain amount of coinage, but he gave to them, as it were, a bag of coins. We'll just look at it that way. One man got a bag weighing uh, five talents. One got a bag weighing two talents. One got a bag weighing one talent. And the idea was take this, invest it, and get a return for me on it. Show yourself a faithful steward. That was the idea. Now notice this, verse 15. Here's the key to the whole thing. He gave them to every man according to his ability and took his journey. Each man's ability was that which determined what he received. Some people had greater uh, capacity to handle a large amount than other people did. That's the way it was, and so he, he apportioned that out. One got five, one got two, one got one. Now, it's obvious as you look at the parable that the master here is the Lord himself. He's going on a journey. The Lord's gone back to heaven, and, and that's where he is right now. We're now we, we are now stewards. We're in management. We've been getting various, uh, we'll use the phrase, bags of coins. And that's what we are to use for the working out and the serving that God would have us accomplish while he's away until Christ comes back. So I want you to uh, put in that computer up there, put it on pause. Hold everything you got up there that we talked about tonight and, uh, and we'll start up there next week. Now don't, don't make me have to go back and review because then that takes a lot of time so you just remember it okay and uh, so we'll take up there next week would you stand please now this uh, this is the time we give to prayer we call this 
meeting, not only Bible study, but prayer meeting, this service prayer meeting. And so we want to give you an opportunity to pray. And I know you have your, your prayer list. And the reason we make these up is because we want you to take it with you. And so throughout the week, not just tonight, but throughout the week, we want you to take this prayer list out and be and remember the needs that we have. These are uh, get well. There's a get well thing. There's people that have cancer. A lot of folks there in our church that have cancer. Uh, then there are those you have relatives or friends, co-workers or whatever that, that need to be saved. We got those. And then uh, special needs that's over there, those that are traveling, all that. Most of these things concern people in our church family. And then we have our missionaries. Uh, most of our missionaries are on the back page, but then on the inside, there's also missions. Then there we don't have enough room on the back page for all this. And then this church staff, and then the different ministries that we have. So, so take this with you, and, and when you go to the Lord throughout the week, there ought to be a time every day that uh, you spend some time in prayer to mention these things. And, uh, but I want you here tonight, uh, if, you, if you want to come to the altar, I know uh, some people feel better uh, praying at the altar. I even sometimes during the week, I'll come over here and kneel at the altar and pray. Not that it's that God hears that any better than if I'm in my car or in the house or over at the office or whatever. But, but you know, uh, some of you, you may rather come to the altar. Uh, some of you just rather where you are, and, and it's fine if you want to sit down. But while our musicians play uh, here on the instruments, I want you to go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him uh, to meet the needs that, that you that we have mentioned here tonight. Brother Ron, would you uh, see what's going on?